crystals signal like multiple blocks to the hips. Block, yeah. block. I had a I had a, a mentor once tell me when officials do block, 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 they're really saying. <laughs> you are listening to the Crown Rest Podcast, the audio experience for basketball official officials. Serve the game. So I know you had time to digest the report. Just wanted to hear your thoughts. Uh, what would you think of it? Uh, I, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, I've never had anyone point this kind of stuff out. So, you know, I always ask for advice and ask for, you know, what can I do better? And I learned, you know, after the first couple of years, if you ask, those are usually the people you want to listen to, but the people that are just willing to tell you are people that you might want to watch because they sure tell you what to do, and then they go and do exactly what they told you not to do. Funny how that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, most of the, you know, whatever I get back, you know, this is my first year doing a three-person. Okay. So a lot of my stuff that you sent me was positioning, so I kind of expected that. You know, just being in the right position for the three-man mechanics. Um, but... Most of people tell, I've heard a lot of different stuff about that throughout the year and trying to go back and forth between two and three person was kind of difficult. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, going back from those, from the two to the three person system, there's definitely different guidelines within each. So, you know, you're doing one, one game, one two person game on a Tuesday and then you go do another three person on a Wednesday and then you're right back to two person on Thursday. Yeah. So it can get a little confusing in, in the beginning. Yeah, I even had a, a few times where it was like, I'm doing the JV as a two-person and then hopping onto a three-person varsity after that. Yeah, I mean, the more you move up, you're going to want to just maintain those three-person principles and even carry them over in a two-person game. You know, just because I think you want to do college, right? You want to keep moving right. up. So yeah. that's going to be your main thing is three-person. So it's just important that when we go do two-person, that it doesn't mess us up for three-person. Not that we want to mess up at all, but I would rather mess up a two-person game and be good money three-person versus the other way around. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So basically I want to do just go over your game notes. I'll, I'll basically kind of read them off, and you could stop me at any point, and then we'll pull up those plays, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at those. All right, sounds good to me. All right, great. So 27 seconds, you made kind of an arm movement mechanic, which I'm not sure what it was. Um, try to refrain from using any extra signals. Was that, you were kind of pointing down the court. Was that kind of your way of letting everybody know it was a no call? Um, I think it was just, uh, let me look at it real quick. 27 seconds. You know, this was kind of a thing back in the day. I, I, When I watch like ESPN Classics or older games, a lot of officials like in lead when they no-called kind of a loud play, they would point yeah. down the court, letting everybody know, hey, I saw that contact and I had a no-call and we're going the other way. So uh, I think what I had there is I was going to start counting because she had the ball in my primary and I was going to start a count and then she passed, but we had to travel – so it kind of, it was a phantom count, I guess, to 
let my partners know that, hey, I got this. I'm looking at it. Remember, just we just want to reduce anything excess that we don't need. Because, yeah. you know, the more things you're doing on the court that is unnecessary winds up, always winds up leading into trouble. Yeah. 38 seconds to your stock, uh, start the clock mechanic instead of chopping down. We just like keeping it upward. Oh, yeah. Upward, yeah. high chop. Yeah, the Michael Jordan <laughs> really, I mean, as soon as I read that, I was like, I know exactly what he means. That, that you know, right after the game when he shot, just, yeah, I, I knew exactly what it was. So that makes a lot of sense, too. A great shot, by the way. Right? Uh, 49 seconds, positioning and trail. You know, try yeah, to- I got a, a little, I guess my youth, youthful exuberance got a hold of me and I ran a little too far. Okay. Yeah, that happened a couple of times at the start of the game where I ran as the new lead. I ran, you know, kind of through where I should have been. I should have stopped and kind of waited for the play to develop or finish developing, I guess. Okay. Just remember, we're always uh, position adjusting to see in between the matchup to find the potential point of contact. So throughout the game, whether you're in trail, center, or lead, that's your goal. Yeah. 56 seconds positioning. Again, great hustle down to the end line. And I saw this happen a couple times. We should run underneath the basket in transition. So you're running down um, weak side. Yeah. And you're crossing over on the end line and just going and rotating right away. Yeah. I should stop. You yeah, think run in the middle of the key or just even farther back? What was that? You think I should stop like middle of the key or even in close down? Well, you're going to be closed down because anytime the ball is on the other side of the basket line, we want to be in that closed down position and kind of feel it out for a second before we rotate. So it's okay to run directly to that B position knowing the ball is, you know, coming up the sideline weak side. Yeah, you got to let the play settle. Plus, you're not giving your partners an opportunity to really notice that rotation. That's kind of messing up the new C because he was running down the court in trail. And now we have now he's basically now we have two trails. Right. 108 again, positioning, you know, just try to take one step onto the court. This is what I was referring to the the last time seen in between the players. Uh, 130, your hustle from foul line to foul line. Hustle the same way you hustled um, at the 56. Second mark, you know, just getting in position to give you the best look. Okay. All right. 155, you're in a dependable position here. Just don't rotate out to the trail position because as the lead rotates over, just stay there. You can, o- you can always readjust, you know, when a pass is made. Okay. So you're saying stay C a little longer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Just just continue to ref that matchup you were you were refing because you were in a good position there. And then right. once that's over, then you can go to the trail. 238, whistle discipline. I call that whistle plan. <laughs> <laughs> you got an obvious foul on this play, yes. However, you know, knowing what your primary area is versus your secondary area is going to increase your accuracy and there's going to be less double whistles, less confusion with the crew. So this yeah. is on the other side of the rim. It's right. I know you you can see this obvious call, right? But I just want you to be conscious. It's technically not in your primary. Yeah. Just give it an extra second. Have it have that cadence whistle. Right. 
and see like that's where the two man comes in again that is my calling too so, 100%. Yeah. yeah great point great point so then just having the awareness knowing we have an extra guy out here tonight this is his primary right i'm gonna give it yeah. a cadence whistle i'm gonna give him a second to blow the whistle if he doesn't then i'm just coming i'm just coming a half second later yeah yeah so then the next one is free throw positioning and so at the time i was thinking i was told if you have players back at half court, you need to be with them. But I've since got clarification that it's if you have a player on each team, so you, you need to be with the, the matchup if there is one, essentially is what I was misunderstood. So that's why I was back at half court on the free throw instead of the 28-foot mark for okay. a good, good number of free throws because there's players back there, but a lot of them I didn't have matchups, so I probably should have been up at the 28-foot mark. Right. And, you know, you don't have to rotate all the way on the other side of the court if you do have a matchup down there. I mean, you go to half court, maybe a, a step at, past that. Yeah. But you're going to be able to see that. Uh, 555 ball is passed to the other side of the court in your center's primary. Take a few steps down to that 28 foot mark. That's our starting point in the trail position. You know, you can adjust from there to, based on where the play is going. But, you know, just use that as a guideline. That's where you're always going to start from. Okay. And, yeah, it would make that rotation to see a little faster if I had an extra step already or two. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you're a little high in the trail position again. Yeah. On the, on the next play down. Stay 28 foot. Uh, 8-12, great hustle down to that C, C to C position, good get on the foul call. No need to signal two shots uh, on obvious fouls. I know that's approved high, high school signal, high school mechanics. It's just, listen, you're trying to move up, right? Right. It looks amateur. Okay. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, a, a, lot of the, a lot of high school approved mechanics look amateur just because I think it's a little dated. I think I think it's a little dated. I agree. And like the block signal is another one that you sent me and you know like you're saying it's the mechanic in the book isn't uh I I personally don't like the book mechanic for the block signal. I definitely like that close fist mechanic more. The book signal does not set us up to look like a strong official out there. I really haven't seen too many officials execute that on the spot. I see a lot on at the table. But a lot of a lot of officials do the fist block at the spot, and then they go present the proper one at the table. That's yeah. that's fine. But during a live ball, when you have a block charge play, I don't know. Just I don't think I don't think we're coming coming off like someone who really understands the game. Yeah, I think it's kind of a, it gives you the oh I guess I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm gonna go with block kind of <laughs> feel, you know. Like, oh, I blew a foul. Better be a block. You you okay. see that that same kind of mentality when officials signal, like, multiple blocks to the hips. Block. Yeah. Block. I had, a, I had a, a mentor once tell me when officials do block, 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 they're really saying, <laughs> 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 I'm not right. So I, that always stuck with me. So that's why, I, like, I do, I do one. It's always one. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you verbalize it too? Because especially, like personally, when there's 
you know, a big crash and it's a block, I'll say, I'll yell, I'll, you know, I'll blow it, tweet, block, and then I'll give the signal. That way people know, you know. Yeah, that's they, fine. I mean, we can always, we can always verbalize at the spot. Everybody knows you have a block. It's, it's a, one of the more obvious signals. Yeah. 451, is this the mechanic showing that there's no closely guarded count? I don't believe this is the me- in the mechanics manual, so I wouldn't I wouldn't use it. Tell me about that one. Uh, four fifty one. Yeah, so I think it's mechanic. Uh, thirteen. Are we in the first quarter still? Oh, sorry, second. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say we're. Yeah, so I think it's mechanic thirteen, which is the not closely guarded mechanic for high school at least. But yeah, that's what that was. And I've been told, like, if you're trail or if you're C, if you're C and the ball's over and we're not rotating because there's no post action, but you're guarding the, you've got the ball in your primary, give a phantom count. And I don't like counting if I don't have a count. It seems like not the thing to do. It seems not correct. Why would I be counting if they're not closely guarded? So I gave that signal instead. Just to show that, hey, I've got this matchup. Yeah, good. Little, we don't want to do anything, Phantom. Phantom fouls, Phantom calls, Phantom signals. We're not here to make things up or manipulate the game. 515, great patience here, not blowing the whistle for a foul or, or a travel or a jump ball or whatever it might have been. You know, this is a play on, so great job. We want to we have as many play ons as, as the game allows. Because that that's what create flow that's what creates the flow, and um, you know we stop the game if something illegal happens. Pretty simple. Yeah, I'm a you know I'm a big fan of letting the kids decide it, not me. So if I can if I can let them play through, or you know, like you said, if it's illegal, okay, it's illegal. I got to stop that. But if it's not, then I'm I'm happy to play on. You know. Just to add to that, if it's a critical call late in the game and you have a whistle. Don't think that you decided it. The kids still decided that. Right. Yeah, there's there's more than the last two minutes of a game. You know, the whole game decides the game is what I'm a fan of. It's not, not necessarily the last shot or the last minute or whatever. Because if we have a correct call, we're not deciding it. If maybe we blow incorrect late in the game, then that's when they can say, oh, okay, the refs decided the game. But the players are always deciding what goes goes on we're just you know we're overseeing it 635 sideline throw-ins always hand the ball to the player then start your count here you kind of step away like five feet and then bounce it to her this puts you way out of position so once once the ball is then inbounded we have a competitive matchup you're about five or six feet behind the play so if you just stay you know one step away then mm-hmm. the ball gets inserted. Then you step down. You're in perfect position. You're right at ball line. Okay. Eight minutes center positioning. Here you start in a real dependable position, but then when the offensive player catches the pass, you stand right behind her. Again, that's we're not getting paid stacks to be stacked. You have to move <laughs> up. Like, we're not getting paid stacks at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing you will, my friend. Okay. So you have to move up or down along the sideline, you know, to get that open look. When the ball is passed to the top of the key, you should drift low. Stay Mm -hmm. as close to that foul line, extend it as possible, 
and that's going to provide you the best open look for rebounding action as well as any drives you know down the middle of the lane okay 815 is a great get from the center just try to break the habit on signal in two shots, two shots. You know, yeah talked about that obvious shooting fouls um this was also a really uh solid report to the table showed really good presence there good presentation of signals 845 free throw positioning again you're at mid-court here for that first yeah. free throw and then for the second you're you're not even on camera because you're too deep in the backcourt 28 foot mark then take take a step down to assist with that rebounding action okay uh, positioning here, 947, way too low in the center. If there's a player at the foul line extended, you could simply be one step below her. Positioning again at 1028 on this throw-in, you're almost at midcourt, which leaves us vulnerable once the ball is passed in. Use the 28-foot mark as, as your starting point in the trail. Then uh, once the ball is inbounded on the wing, step onto the court, get in, get in that dependable position. 11.57, we need that same hustle to the 28-foot mark in the trail as you hustle from trail to new lead. Just want to take a quick break from the podcast to tell you about our new IPR service, which is the Individual Performance Report, one of the industry's first film review services. We break your game down into seven parts. You are now hearing the game notes section where we did a full timestamp review on some notable plays and loaded it with some instructional comments and questions. So hope you enjoy. Hit us up if you have any questions about the IPR. You can email me at crownrefs at gmail.com or hit us up on social. Now, back to the podcast. Um, here, not we talk about not leaving the scene of the crime. 1214. Yeah. So I had the um, the new new lead, right? Right. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So we so I've got the one black player streaking out, and you're saying kind of hang back and let that happen? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, this was one one of the plays you marked, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted some clarification on that. because. It... Yeah, because we have a rebound, but it hasn't been secured yet. There's really no player control, and you ran down the court. So the 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 new lead, let's say the girl did secure the rebound. She turns starts taking that first dribble up the court. You know, the lead's not going to be able to see any kind of reach-in foul really there. Yeah. You're you're staring right at the play. You should still be facing that play and not worrying about running to new lead because we still have, you know, a potential play that could involve a foul or a violation here. Okay. Um, you know, if that rebound's secure and she's about to make a pass, I understand, you know, you're then now you're focusing on going a new lead. But this play is not finished. My point is, the play is not finished yet, so you should still be in that in that uh, backcourt. Gotcha. Third quarter, 52 seconds. You put your hands out wide again. No need for this mechanic. Which one is this? That's the, you said 52 seconds, right? Yeah, third quarter. That's the not closely guarded, but again, I was at the C, so I was trying to let everyone know that, or let my partners know that I was officiating that one. Yeah. Understood. Um, I think that works more effectively kind of when we have started a count and then the defender moves 
you know, bat, it, then the defender isn't within six feet anymore. Right. Kind of show that. Okay. So we go from a count to a dropped count. And we let everyone know why we're not counting or why we're dropping the count. I think that signal is where it would be more, most effective. Okay. Insert it there. But not if we haven't even started a five second count, because then you're showing basically I have, you're showing I have nothing when everybody knows we have nothing. Gotcha. Gotcha. I never thought of that before, but I, I do think that signal complements the five second count when it ends. Okay. And, and if there's and if the defender is still kind of close to that six foot, like he might re-enter that space or whatever. But again, reducing excess here, slow yeah. it down. Uh, Fifty five seconds. When lead rotates over, you don't have to go directly to the trail position. We talked about this earlier. You're going to continue to referee that matchup because you're in a good, dependable position there. Once that play is over and the ball is swung or dribble goes, dribble drive goes away from you, then you can step to the 28-foot mark. Yeah. Okay. 104, be patient. It looks like no one had control of the ball. You granted a timeout to White. You're a little far away, too. I think you're above the 28-foot mark. Make sure there's complete control before the timeout is granted. What did you see? Uh, so when she fell, I thought I saw her dribble again. And that's why it wasn't a travel. Because, well, she lost possession, and then she kind of reached out and grabbed it. I agree. And the coach actually verbalized timeout before he physically signaled it a couple when she fell. So when I felt like she fell, reached out and got the ball, I felt that that was possession, and that's why I granted it because he was – you know, repeatedly calling for timeout um, verbally before he actually signaled for it. But again, I, I looked at the coach to make sure he was actually calling timeout. And if I would have stayed with the player, I probably would have let that one go because she did kind of squirt the ball out at the end. Do you think the lead was in a dependable position to ref this play? Um, I think, I mean, that's a lot of bodies right there, but he probably had a good look at it. Just got to be a thousand percent on this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky play. It's a crowded lane. There's a scrum for the ball. Again, if three players are kind of wrestling for the ball, we, we just have to be a thousand percent that a timeout is called because also the coach is going to request it. Then we have to confirm that it's the head coach that's, you know, that requested it. So we got to turn our head. Then by the time we, we, we look back, you know, it's, we just don't want to – I would rather err on the side of caution and, and not grant it. And you okay. could always you could always tell the coach, you know, I understand, coach, but I didn't deem that your player had control of the ball. It's a simple explanation. Yeah. That makes sense because, like you're saying, you had to look away to the head coach, and then once I made sure it was the head coach, that's when I granted it. But that's also when the ball kind of gets tossed back behind the girl too. Yeah, so – that makes sense. 212, uh, try not to sidestep down the sideline. Maybe just a fast walk or turn and jog with your head looking back. Okay. Or athletic. Yeah. Or athletes too. So, you know, looking like we play a sport at all times is a great look for an official. Okay. 337, if you're going to stop the clock, try to use the same arm to do that and then point. We should, you know, Use this as a guideline. Mechanically, use one hand for the most part. Yeah. 
you know, our chop, our stopping the clock, our point should be the same hand. Now, when we start getting into illegal screens and charges, now we can start to be a little more versatile and, and use a different hand that we stop the clock with to maybe punch or point. But just in this case, one okay. hand. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, stop the clock and then point with that hand instead of picking up my other one and pointing. 452, your block mechanic. We, we touched on this. Try closing your fists and turning them inward then going up and down to your hips for the block signal. I think the perception of that kind of signal will show more confidence and strength and certainty. Yeah. Have you practiced that yet? Yeah, I used to do it like that, but uh, I became kind of more inversed in my association. And I know what happened. I know exactly what happened. A couple, a couple uh, people mentioned it to you. Yeah. They're observing you. Yeah. A local high school gentleman probably in his 37th year on the board yeah something like that yep, yep, yep. and they wanted it done by the book and the book has open hands understood yeah just say i appreciate it thank you i'll, I'll work on that yeah all right 520 kickball mechanics stop the clock and raise your foot slightly off the ground Point to your foot. Point to it, yeah. Point do to the point. foot and then say kick ball. Then point the direction. Sharp. You know, I know in the book it, do it doesn't have a point to the foot. Your, your foot is still going to show the same motion as the book, but just adding a little emphasis, no doubt. I want you to try that one. All right, yeah. 704, instead of stepping down, turn your body towards the baseline and simply step forward. And down towards the baseline. Try using that side step. Or try to avoid using the side step. And that's on the, the free throw, yeah? Yeah. So so turn towards the, the inline and instead of sidestepping is what you're saying? So like actually physically turn my shoulders to the inline? Yeah, I mean, but you, I mean, you're not going to be facing the inline because you are you're have to still referee the, the shooter that he doesn't cross but, the free throw line. But you kind of want to have more of a 45-degree angle there. Okay. You know, if we have a quick rebound put back, then now we have to turn our body towards the rim. Gotcha. A10, you're in a perfect position originally to officiate all this action. You know, if you would have just stayed in position versus popping out to the trail when the lead rotated over, I think you could have gotten this foul. It looks like you pump faked, which is so cringeworthy. I've done it probably 17 times in my career. It's it, All 17 feel terrible. You feel like everybody in the gym is looking at you. I did yeah. it on national TV one time. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was a foul, and then my partner had a out of bounds. And then I got the foul on the next play. Because she got her on the next play, too, but I still had that play in my mind and thought I can't give her two close ones right in a row. So... I probably should have been more assertive and actually had the foul as the as the trail on that one. Just just always, just always go with your gut. Yeah. You have a foul and your partner has an out of bounds at the same time, no problem. Pop the whistle a few times loudly, um, pump your fist in the air showing that you have a foul on the play. Let everybody know and then go to the table and report. This will show that command and believability. Uh, 838, show command and strength here. 
when you blow the whistle, take a couple steps down when you make the call since it's not your primary. Yeah. Not saying I'm not saying come running in like a rookie cop. <laughs> because we don't want to do that. Too many times as officials, we're sprinting on the court to close down whether we have a tie up for a held ball or or a foul at a primary. We don't have to come sprinting in. Just take a just take a couple steps down closer towards the play just to show a little bit more engagement. Yeah. 940 was a really good good get. On this mechanic, though, blow the whistle, stop the clock, show the carry, probably two time, two to three times your carry signal, and then a strong point down the court. Carrying violations are very rare, and if, and if you do it too fast, no one sees it. Yeah, I definitely think two or three times would have helped there. I, de- I only did it the one time, in it. Right. so I probably should have done it more than once. So here's the cadence when you have a, a carry. Whistle, carry signal. Two, three, point. So okay. Yeah, it's about a, you know two seconds. Two yeah. seconds. Ten ten. Coach seems to be complaining, asking for a foul. Looks like a good no call from the video. Just be aware of what he's asking and how it looks with his arms out, demonstrating. You do not necessarily need to address him at this point. Just make sure he's not doing it the rest of the game. Right. How was your interaction with the coach? Uh, with him, he didn't really complain about a lot. He did a lot of coaching. This was uh, for first place in the league, so these were the two best teams in this league. Um, so they, the coaches were actually pretty good. Uh, he, besides for that one time that we're talking about, he pretty much just coached his kids. So I, I uh, kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt because he had been good to that, up until that point. Okay, good. 12.43 was one of the plays you highlighted. I think this is a crew-saving whistle that's required here. I think if you were a step or two higher in the center position, you'd have a better look at this foul, and it yeah. wasn't called. You know, the primary defender was beat, so as soon as that happens, we got to transition our eyes to the next defender to, uh, to determine if they're legal or illegal before the contact happens. I think this is a block. Um, it's not in your primary, so you're going to give the lead that first crack. That first, that first breath, that first space of time, once yeah. cleared, you know, one second, whatever it is, then you have that cadence whistle, even maybe a double tweet, doesn't matter. Um, and that would have been a great call for you there. Yeah. See, I, uh, I had the primary defender, and then I saw the first secondary defender coming from the post, and the one that actually gets run over is coming from – across the key so I I was surprised by her being there and then I thought well that's not you know let's my partners stay off of it and then you know everybody went to the ground I thought man we probably should have something there but I don't know what so I didn't want to guess and so you weren't a hundred percent at the time I didn't. I, I felt like we should have had a foul. There was definitely something illegal, but I wouldn't. Didn't know what. I wasn't sure if it was charge or block. I didn't see the the defender come over, so I probably would have went with block just because I was. That's what people do is when you're surprised by the defense, you call a foul on the defense even if it's wrong. Uh, I definitely watching the video. Think she was sliding in to, you know, kind of undercutting the player. And it would have been the right call, but 
I wasn't sure what the call was at the time. Right. And, and, and you weren't sure because you, you didn't have eyes on that secondary. And again, that secondary defender wasn't in your primary. But once that primary defender got beat, you can then shift your eyes. So I think right. if you did shift your eyes, you might have a little bit more information. You might have given it that, that um, you know, one second for your, your lead to have that. And then boom, doot, doot, block. Okay. 13.42, good job being aware of the clock. Clock awareness, essential. Um, what else? All right. I wanted to talk about 3.55. You have a, a crowd fan interaction here. I'm not sure what was said. My advice would be to never talk to the fans in the crowd. They're never on our side, and only bad things will come out of it. Just act like they're not there. Unless, of course, you know they say something terrible where we need to go get game management. But conversations never go well with fans. They're not nice. They're emotionally invested in the game. Um, they're trying to throw the refs under the bus. So, like, whatever you could have said there, it's just most most times it's not going to be effective. And you right. show a little bit of frustration there. And I understand because I've been there. And fans, like I said, they say rude and disrespectful things. So yeah. but you, you have to have that thick skin to not let it penetrate and sink in there. Just, just ignore. What did the fans say? Uh, he wanted a technical foul. Okay, and who is he? Watching, so I, I want to talk to you about the actual play that led up to that a little bit. So if we go back to like three thirty, yeah. I'll pull it up so we can uh, the, so it'll make the, it'll make the podcast sound cool too to have a play. Okay. Give me a second. Just got Mark Wonderlick on the podcast. Yeah, you know Mark? I do not. He's the NBA's um, VP of Referee Operations. Okay. Former NBA Finals ref. He's, he's he's been mentioned on the podcast a lot by like all the NBA guys. So yeah, that's a big that's a big fish. <laughs> all right, hold you've up. Had, you've had Joey and all sorts of other big fish too, really. Yeah. 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 We want to want to keep we want to keep fishing for the sharks. All right, so take me through this play. All right, so uh, starting from the rebound, like 25, White has an outlet pass. I'm the new trail. The outlet, outlet pass is deflected and recovered by the black team, so now I need to transition to lead. Uh, she's coming right at me. I'm right about half court, and she's at the volleyball line, so, you know, pretty close to me. The ball, she kind of gets away from her, and she goes out of bounds to kind of save it. There was a little bit of contact on the other team, but she, I felt like she pulled herself out of bounds to get the ball. And when she did that, she ended up in the stands, and everybody, you know, was mad about it. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't think it was too much of a foul. My partner had a foul as the... You know, the opposite of me, the trail coming to be new trail. He had the foul, and I don't necessarily disagree. There might have been a little contact, but if you watch the video, I don't think White extends her arm at all. 
I think the ball took her out, and we talked about it too. And they think the ball kind of took her out more than the contact did. So it's unfortunate that she fell into the stands, but everybody wanted a technical foul there because, oh, she got pushed into the stands. That's not sporting. And I didn't see anything that was deserving of a foul, uh, technical. Oh. Yeah. And that's what started the crowd interaction is the people that she fell into wanted to know why it wasn't a technical foul. And I tried to explain, well, she went out of bounds to save the ball more than she got pushed out. And, uh, Again, you're providing an explanation to a fan. No, right. no need to do that. Right. Don't yeah. even look at them. Just stare at the at the play at the players. This play is nothing, by the way. It's it's a no call. I don't well, really even that's see what contact. I, had, but I didn't I know if contact by the defender. It looks like the offensive player extends her off arm and then tries to make. I don't. Who is she passing to? Too. There was no one down the court. There's no one. Yeah. The it's ball was going out of bounds, so I think she was just trying to save it mostly. This is just a really bad play. Yeah. And then people want us to put a whistle on it. Just let it let it rock. Just yeah. Rock. So, as an official in that position, though, am I supposed to be putting eyes on that? Because I was trail, and yeah, then the turnover made me lead. Yeah, that's a bit of a dual coverage area. Okay. You know you're gonna you're, you're gonna be watching that play too. Okay. As it, as it's coming to you, again here, yeah, quick steal. You're actually primary. That's your primary. Okay, good. Because I stayed with it because it felt right, but yeah, and you no called it, which was right. Okay. Yep. Three fifty eight. Know the foul count at all times, especially when it's nearing the bonus situation. This yeah. is gonna show that you're focused in on the entire game and it will look like you're out there running the game having that command it's also going to prevent you from having any kind of forbidden correctable error if you have to if you um, forget to issue a warranted free throw right 405 instead of signaling one on one uh 405 instead of signaling one and one out to the side just keep it right in front of you shoulder height shoulder like, width like you're reporting a foul kind of exactly it's it's the same thing as reporting the fouls on eleven. Okay. Six oh four. Use the left arm on the left side when calling a foul. Here we want to, for the most times, as a guideline, you know, in lead or wherever, try to use the outside arm when you're when you're calling a foul. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Just because we want to be ambidextrous. Right. Right. We want to. We don't want to be out here, you know, only seeing with one eye. We want to use both arms. We want to use both eyes. I mean, a player can't have a weak left hand. So <laughs> well, I've seen plenty to do, Paul. Don't worry. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, but we don't want to. Yeah, definitely. We don't want to be that player with a weak left. 637, nice job giving the coach your ear and listening to what he has to say. This would be one of the few times – you would go into the backcourt during a free throw to give an explanation. Besides that, that's really a long switch there. It has to be a real notable play that we have to, we're going to go give an explanation to a coach because the bottom line is he's pulling us far out of our position. Yeah. Now that that's okay. When this is a game management type play, we have a little wiggle room there, but as the norm, 
you're just not going to you're just not going to go switch with when a coach is asking. You can you can kind of talk to him and say coach next time out I'll be over. Okay. Yeah, he thought there was a three in the key on that, but uh I don't I don't consider someone standing with their heel on the free throw line to be in the key. That's just my personal philosophy. You're not you're not gaining any advantage by having your heel in the key at the top of the free throw line. Agreed. The Crown Refs Podcast is brought to you by Neat Tucks, the best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. If you're looking for that clean and professional look on the court, this is the best product for that. Go to neattucks.com and order yours today. Crown Refs and Neat Tucks, serving the game. Well, the macro point here is, yes, you got to slow down. How? Right. The next question is how. So that's why we're giving you all these different ways. This will slow you down. This is how you slow down. It's great to understand that you have to. Now we got to figure out how. What does that mean? Do I not run as fast? Does that mean I right. don't breathe as hard? Does that mean I don't walk as fast? Like, what does slow down mean? There's so many different ways to slow down as a rep. You'll yeah. notice it as you go on, like. Oh my God, the, the conversation I just had with the coach, I should have slowed down. He was yelling at me and I kind of, my heart was beating a little bit. I, I spoke a little bit too quick. Got to slow down. Play right. call, having a patient whistle. Oh, I bit on that, that foul. That was incidental contact. I need to slow down my processing. Oh, I was really quick at the table reporting, reporting my push and my numbers. Uh, the table had to call me back and ask me who the foul was on because I need right. to slow down. Yeah. I feel like uh, my biggest time to slow down is like during technical fouls. Hundred percent. And yeah, that's that's when I definitely like if I if I administer a technical foul, it's usually because I'm mad. Uh-oh. You've done something to make me mad. Don't and, get mad. And I need to just take a breath and not be mad. No, but you should never be mad on the court. Yeah, we got to change that. Well. It's you've done something worthy of a technical and I've probably let a couple ones go because I have a pretty big leash. You know, I, I tend to take a lot and then finally I have the build up gets to me and then I I administer a technical foul, but I need to talk to a, my partners about it too more, I feel like. Be unemotional in those moments. Right. Because the attention is on us. We feel the heat. We feel like everyone in the crowd is now looking at us because we inserted ourselves because we had to with the technical foul. So that's when we really got to slow down. Use those breathing techniques that we talked about in the Ed Rush podcast that J.D. Collins talked about. That Breathing in for three seconds. Three seconds, hold for seven, or what was it? In for three, hold for three, out for six? Yeah, I've heard a couple different versions of that. A simple one is... Breathe out for three, hold for three, breathe in for three, hold for three. Okay. Have you listened to the Verbal Judo podcast? I have listened to both and I'm almost done with the book too. Excellent. Excellent. So you're you're gonna be be you're not gonna be shouting at a fan next time. No, I'll uh, I'll just say I appreciate that. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I appreciate Mis- that, black file. Yeah. <laughs> you have to leverage. Exactly. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.